Good evening, everyone. It's time for Necromaniacs. It's Thursday. That means it's Necro time. That's right. So, uh, so yeah, I'm here with Jeff. How's it going, Jeff? Good, man. How are you doing? Doing all right. You know, it's uh, summer is winding down. And uh, Mike and I, last week, as you all know, released our uh, Summer's End episode to our Cruel Summer series. And I um, you know, uh-huh. hope, hope everyone enjoyed that. We talked about uh, Friday the 13th. And, um, yeah, we had, like, a pretty nice little talk about that, you know. Looking forward to listening to that one. Yeah. We're closing in on episode 100. Yeah, I, I was just thinking that myself. Like, uh, we're, we're almost there. Yeah, you know, back in the day when Mike and I first started this thing, we would take long breaks between episodes. And now, because, you know, you would think that we would have way more episodes in the in the tank. But, um, you know, we took breaks. Sometimes those breaks lasted like six months. <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> where it's like, huh, are we doing this? You know, and then we, you know, now I'm glad that we're doing it weekly. And, um, you know, and it's all good. Yeah, I'm having fun. I'm watching some, you know, I mean, these are movies I probably would be watching anyway, probably, you know, although some um, weren't on my radar at all, like the one we're eventually going to talk about today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get going, I uh, just want to give our, our shout outs to uh, Break the Apocalypse podcast uh, featuring Mike's brother, John Draper. John Draper? That's the name, John Draper. Yes. John Draper. Okay, I thought you were talking about the guy from uh, Mad Men. We'll, we'll leave it at that. John Draper. Okay. okay. John Draper. Yeah. All right. And also, uh, shout out to um, Horror Wolf 666 our friend of the show. Brandon Legion is the host of that show. And if, um, very sim- you know, similar in some ways to what we do, his show is more geared towards interviews. He's got a lot of really cool guests on he had uh spider Spider one who was on recently and um we've over the past few years we've talked about the ill-fated show death valley which was on mtv have you ever seen that no i don't even think i've heard of it ah yes see quite good one season ended on a cliffhanger will probably never be resolved this is MTV? Yeah. When they, they had a show called Death Valley, uh, the dude from Power Man 5000, Spider-1, um, was the guy who created it. And um, it took, takes place in L.A. It's uh, sort of a, it's a dark comedy in the same way that what we do in the shadows is, is a dark comedy. But occasionally, oh, right. occasionally there's like, you know, there's, it's like mixed with real horror and like really cool storylines, you know? And uh, it's just one episode, and that's it. And it ended on a fucking cliffhanger. That's a bummer when that happens. Like, one and done. So this would be Rob Zombie's brother then, right? Exactly. Which makes me think, what kind of fucking relationship do those guys have? You'd think Rob Zombie would somehow, like, enable this dude to finish his vision, no? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, but what really, what could he do? You know, you need a network, you need money, you need all kinds of shit, you know? Yeah, but still, you would think he'd pull some strings. Like, people get, he gets to make his fucking movies, which, you know, are, even though I say I don't like them, I can't stop talking about Rob Zombie. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Dude, we've talked about so much Rob Zombie stuff, and I will, 
I just now I'm starting to starting to um, admit that I actually like some of his work. Really? Yeah. I don't think I like. I must have said this in the podcast before. I don't like anything that guy's done. You say that, but I challenge I you to watch, uh, to rewatch Lords of Salem. Mm. Um, I know most people remember, hate that movie, but I, I fucking think that movie's his best thing, the best thing he's done. I remember thinking that when I saw that too, actually, I was like, well, this is the best thing he's done, but I still don't like it. I mean... I reluctantly am agreeing. I used to have a very much a hard line against him years ago. But I guess uh, I've mellowed as, as time goes by. And now I, um, I'm not so... I mean, the last couple of things he's done have been terrible. Like like 31 and, you know, the thing that... Oh, yeah. yeah that, I didn't that see was, it. That was garbage. And yet I, I do. I see almost all of his movies. Me and Mike went to see that movie in the movie theater. We did an episode on it. 31? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I gave up. I was just, I just not interested in seeing that at all. I don't, I don't hate Rob Zombie. So um, I know I used to, people would, would send me nasty messages because they used to like, you know, they were big fans. And I was, uh, yeah. would, would send me hate mail because I said horrible things about his movies. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, whatever, man. It's cool. Like everyone, not everyone's the same. Not everyone, everyone likes different things, you know? But, uh, but yeah, yeah, anyway, Brandon did a um, really cool interview with Spider One, and he talks about this show. And if you're interested in anything we said, definitely check check out his podcast, and he goes into a lot of this stuff. Right on. Yeah. That's, I'll definitely check that out. You been watching anything yourself? Anything uh, new or interesting? Um, yeah, a couple things. Uh, mainly, I've been watching a lot of documentaries on YouTube. Um, you know, about that, uh, how the Earth is flat and 9/11 didn't <laughs> really happen. Yeah, man. Finally, man. It's good. Welcome aboard. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch a documentary about flat Earthers, though, and how fucking uh, stupid they are. <laughs> it is shocking the amount of people who believe that stuff. It really is. There's a lot of really strange beliefs out there, and it, it makes me frightened every day to think of the level of ignorance that pervades certain strata of this country. Right. I, 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 when, we, when we talked about the conspiracy, I think I said this, it's a way for unintelligent people to seem interesting and smart. You know, like when you meet someone stupid, but you know, they think they're smart because they like tool or something like that, you know, <laughs> like, you know what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, I do, man. And, yeah. uh, it's like, so it's I, like yeah, that. I've been watching a lot of stuff about right wing hate groups and, you know, Donald Trump, Trumpism, you know, and I'm, you know, just preparing myself for the oncoming uh, civil war. Um, you know, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, you're so probably I, not, <laughs> nah, man, probably I, not too wrong I'm, I'm being uh hyperbolic here you know but the um but aside from that i've been watching uh, a bunch of old stuff uh a movie called nightmare it's one of these slashers that came out in like 91 or i'm not 91 81 um you know like older stuff like that uh there's a, a film called clean shaven which is oh um, yeah you, you, that that movie I thought was amazing. It's like I own I own that movie. Oh, we should talk about it then, man, because I I think yeah, there's it, a lot to talk about with a film like that. Yeah, I haven't seen it. In, oh, maybe I, it's one of those movies I uh, 
I bought after seeing on like IFC at like two in the morning, and then it's, it's still wrapped up. Like I hadn't seen it in a long time. I remember it disturbed me a lot. It was a creepy movie. Very creepy. Uh, it, it's like, like similar to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. It's like more of like an art film than a horror film. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And uh, great acting. Very, very brooding. Like heavy atmosphere to that movie. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we should definitely talk about that someday. I think that's a good uh, idea. We, you, uh, we might talk about this one too. I watched uh, Demonic. Yes, we we we've discussed talking about that already. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So we'll save our thoughts for a later episode. <laughs> did uh, did um, you like find that for free, or do you watch it in the movie theater? I did not go to uh, the movies. I uh, I rented it. Um, I haven't been to the movies in forever now. Um, not that I'm, I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's still that lingering fear. I don't know what it is. I just, and there's a movie theater around the corner from me, like a cheap one that has first run movies. Uh, and I still haven't been like, if, if it's playing on TV, I'll choose to watch it at home. I, I'm just that guy now. I, um, want to see, and I was, at first I was, um, I kind of checked out the trailer and I was like, I don't know, man, this doesn't look that good. But there's a, uh, that movie, the night house. I just like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yes, uh, playing in the theaters right now. And, and I was like, uh, not really, I don't know. So I, I, I was, I read about it. It interested me, but then I saw the trailer and I was like, I don't know about this movie. And then, uh, once again, shout out to Retta Evans. If you're listening, uh, she's like, Oh, did you see, the night house and i was like nah and she's like it's pretty good and um she kind of has like a pretty discerning taste when it comes to movies so i decided it's still playing down here at the amc theater and um i'm mm. probably, probably gonna go check it out at some point maybe this weekend who knows nice there you go yeah i um what else did i watch well you know i'm prepared for my trip to texas tomorrow so uh to do some research i watch uh, the texas chainsaw massacre part two <laughs> right on man which is, uh, you know, it's on uh, Amazon. I was flipping around looking for something to watch. And I was like, you know, I haven't seen this in like, for, for, I don't know, since I was in high school. And uh, holds up really well. You know, it's kind of a, obviously a very different tone from the first movie. And it's kind of almost more of like a, not a comedy, but it, it's definitely a lot more comical. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm not the biggest fan of the second one, honestly. I like the first one. I think that one's like, a totally different type of movie but uh yeah it's yeah. like jaws and jaws 2 you know uh, jaws 2 is okay but how do you follow up you know the greatest movie ever made and you know not that texas chainsaw is the greatest movie ever made but i mean it's it's legendary for a reason you know uh it's a very effective little movie and you know there's just no way you you, you can you know lightning doesn't strike twice or something like that but I like Texas Chainsaw 2 for what it is, though. It's a, it's a good, kind of more fun horror movie. And it's the only other good Texas Chainsaw movie. The rest of them are bad. So you're driving to Texas. I am. Yeah, tomorrow. Damn, this might be the last time I talk to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, driving to Austin. I guess, you know, a lot of uh, city folk are heading out there, and we're just kind of going to go and, and check it out and uh, see what we think. You know, I've obviously been there many times, but like when you when you tour and you're only at a place for like 
you know, 12, 13 hours. They don't really get a feel for the city. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Like, uh, you might get a text from me at three in the morning. It says send help or something or, <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, how, uh, that's a long fucking drive, man. 20 hours. Jesus, dude. Yeah, man. You know, you just fucking get some fucking mess, dude. And you stay here, dude. I don't drive for 30 hours. Be well, fine. You're definitely traveling to the right part of the country. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, uh, we were, we're splitting it up and everything. 12 hours one day, uh, you know, eight hours the next. Uh, you know, it's nothing new for, for, for people like that. Uh, we, you know, been in vans most of our lives, you know, like 10 hours. You're like, yeah, we've done that a million times. Yeah, once you get above 10 hours, it gets a little hairy, I think. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Uh, I've never actually had to be the one driving, though, so this will definitely be, like, a new new challenge. But, um, you know, my job, you know, I was a driver for a living, so, you know, I'm used to being in a car all day, but, you know, we'll see. Should be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, last thing I, 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 I watched or that I can remotely remember being interesting was uh, The Wrath of Man, a film directed by Guy Ritchie with uh, Jason Statham. I want to see that. So what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Good. I mean, Guy Ritchie has had such a – he's very hit and miss for me. I don't know about you, but, like, I mean, there's some a lot of this stuff I haven't even seen because it's just, you know, I don't have any interest in a live version of Aladdin or, uh, you know, the Sherlock Holmes movies were, were, were pretty forgettable. And But, you know, his early gangster stuff was, was enjoyable. They were funny. And this one is, like – this is a pretty dark movie for him. I was kind of surprised. I think he can only really make like one type of film, at least that interests me. It's like, you know, obviously I was introduced to his work with, um, with snatch, you know, then, Lock, mm. then I saw Lockstock, even though I know that came first. And, um, I think same for me, I think. Yeah. I think, you know, tough guy, like gangsters, you know, that kind of stuff is like the perfect yeah. like genre for him, but I don't. He just he always missed the missed the mark. I think with, a, with whenever he veered away from that that style of film. Yeah, even sometimes within that genre, he he shit the bed. You know, there was that Revolver movie that was just very forgettable. Um, but yeah, like this is different from those movies. Like it's similar in like you know it's it's action tough guys all that stuff but it's not lighthearted it's not fun. it's it's a dark violent movie uh, took me a bit by surprise but you know it, it was good I will definitely watch it again you know if it's on TV that's something I'd, I'd probably stop and we'll check out I'm, I'm gonna check it out definitely it sounds sounds like it's uh, something I'd be into yeah man yeah check it out for sure yeah right on man so. Today, we're going to talk about a film called The Deeper You Dig, and um, it's, an, it's an older film. And, uh, uh, yeah, 2019, right? Yeah, 2019, so it's, you know, it's not a brand new movie. Uh, re- right, real quick, right. apparently there's a band called The, the Butterfingers, a ska band, who uh, this is the title of their second album, The Deeper You Dig. <laughs> Really? And Mike, you know this because you're a big Scott fan, right? I'm a big Scott fan. That's how I know this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so 2019. Yeah. Um, it's uh, written and directed by uh, John Adams and Toby Poser. 
and uh, score by John Adams. And actually, you can say this uh, film was created by the Adams family. Um, mm. You know, because their their daughter is Zelda. So John and and Toby are actually married, and their daughter daughter Zelda is uh, one of the stars in this film too. And a co-director. That's right. Which uh, how a movie has three directors is is beyond me. But uh, you know, maybe we'll we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, not only that, but it seems like everyone who involved in the production's last name was either Adams or Poser. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, like co-produced by something Poser. Like, yeah, I just was like, wow, this is a real family affair. Yeah, and and um, I saw this on on the Arrow app. So there's like a ton of uh, little documentaries that are associated with it because they, <coughs> they give you they give you like whatever the extras would be on the Blu-ray they put out. So um, I got to learn a lot about the family itself. And apparently, they live up in the Catskills outside of New York City, and. It's, they kind of just make these movies like with very little um, influence by the actual film industry and on their own timetables. So when they film like they feel like filming something, they just film it. Right. That's kind of um, cool. Yeah. I mean, I think I read somewhere the budget for this movie was like $11,000 or something like that. Which goes to show you that you don't really need big money. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's it's because of digital technology that it's not that expensive. You know, back in the day yeah. when you needed like an editing suite and film, probably a different story. But yeah, it's that's eleven eleven grand is was the budget, and that's like chump change really when you think about filmmaking. Yeah, well, I was thinking in my head, I was like, is that even possible? I mean, you got to pay actors, you have to rent the houses and and uh make i was like it seems like it had to be more than 11 grand but i maybe i read that wrong well a lot of it if you think about it it was the family you know they had a couple yeah. of, there really wasn't a lot of cast members in this movie no there wasn't and uh definitely one of the positive like usually movies micro budget movies like this um, one of the biggest problems is the acting and i gotta say the acting was pretty solid in this all around that's the thing man it's like i I totally like stumbled upon this movie. It was like one night I was th- I was at bored. It was a weeknight, you know. I was like, I want to. I feel like watching something. I couldn't figure out what to watch. I was like, let me see what's on the Arrow app. So I'm like looking around, and um, yeah, the synopsis sounded interesting to me, and I didn't wasn't familiar with with the Adams family per se, and um, I just put it on, and right away, the way it looked and the the vibe of the film was was really cool i thought yeah i mean the atmosphere is really one thing going for this movie i mean like you said the cat skills it's snowy there's lots of shots of isolated roads with like you know snow-filled trees and mountains and everything it's uh it captures the atmosphere as a small uh snowy town quite well i mean i would say the the setting the location is like is the movie because i mean you, you you shoot this and set it in los angeles there's just there's nothing there you know well i mean it's a totally different film you know the story yeah. wouldn't even proceed that way because like let's let's talk a little bit not not to go beat by beat and ruin it for everyone but like the uh, the overall synopsis of the movie is so we, basically we have three characters we got uh, john adams who plays kurt we got toby poser who plays ivy and zelda adams who plays echo okay 
Kurt is like this kind of loner. You can tell that without without any reference to it, you kind of have a feeling that a lot of things that went wrong in his life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, there's not really like a ton of backstory for him or for for anyone. He doesn't really live at that house. I guess he's re- renovating a house to flip it. Yeah. And he just has this energy of someone who's like probably has a problem with drinking, who's like divorced maybe, um, has bad relationships. I mean, he's like an older guy in his late 40s. He's single, you know, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Right. He's by himself yeah. or out in this like wooded area. Uh, you know, he's like you said, he's renovating some house and looking to make some money. Um, Ivy is a uh, a psychic uh, slash medium, and um, you know she's like, you know, reading tarot cards and telling fortunes to people, and uh, not obviously one of the things that is being put out there is that she's not. It's kind of like a a work, like it's it's like she's on the the other side like taking advantage of people a little bit to make some money yeah she's not really like her heart's really not in it anymore yeah and um echo is her daughter and her daughter she's very like one of these unique young ladies you know um yeah probably doesn't yeah like a goth style chick um probably into cool music you know and she's into art and drawing and all this stuff and well, yeah, she's really into old timey music. That's actually kind of like a, a, a plot point. Yes, and right. you know something too, just like you know that that's so spot on of like a teenage girl, like you know, just like a goth girl would have like a quirk like that. Like you know, they don't like uh, you know they don't listen to like Joy Division or anything. They like old timey music, and it's also a clever like budgetary reasons. Like you know, they can't afford to have like anyone's music in it. And, you know, um, yeah. old-timey music is like public domain, you know, so clever and cost-efficient. You know what? I didn't even think about that. I was like, you know what? You're right. They would have to pay a fortune to license all that, all those songs. Yeah, or even have like a Nine Inch Nails poster on the wall. I mean, like, you know, like, uh, you know they probably don't have like an art director or anything like that who does. I mean, I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's what, what, what I thought when... when um, when when they mentioned they, that she likes old timey music, but it just it also just adds so much depth to the character too. I think, and um, you know, you could tell she probably doesn't get along with too many people like at school. Um, it paints a very good picture of just like an outsider, like young lady, you know. And I thought it was cool the way that they portrayed yeah. the character. Yeah, and she's not like an asshole or anything. Like she she really her and her mom seem to be like friends. Like they're they're really close. Um, I like that detail because you know they didn't go for the cliche of like "fuck you, mom," you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. And um, yeah. And uh, not knowing the plot going into this thing, I was like, "Cause she wants to go sledding at night." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh oh, something's gonna happen here for sure." But yeah. what I really dug about it was the way that they really spent time on on the on the, the snowfall and. It's some of the some awesome shots of just like like you you touched on it earlier where you get the feeling of just like I mean I don't know how many of you guys out there are you know live in the Northeast or whatever or or you know areas of the country that get serious snowfall but that's like a, it was a very very resonant way for me at least 
of of showing that in this in the film was just this like beautiful but also a little scary like snowfall yeah yeah absolutely and um you know, you, you get a real good sense of the town. Like, even, like, you know, the, the bar that uh, Kurt goes to to drink at feels very lived in. It feels very authentic. You know, they're probably, like, friends with the owners or something. Let, let them film there. And, um, yeah, like I said, this it, it, this doesn't feel – it feels very authentic, the, the, the look and, and tone of the movie. And it, without this setting, yeah, it just it, it doesn't work at all. Yeah, and you know, just speaking about the budget again, and and I learned this in the in the extras that the, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the people weren't actors. Like, there's like a, a, you know, we'll see that we see them later in the film, but there's a there's a police. There's there's two cops that show up. They're actually cops. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, because uh, the town they were they were good. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they were they were pretty. Like I said, like the acting in these movies are, are usually like just bottom of the barrel, but like. There wasn't one like horrible performance in the movie. I mean, no one's like gonna win an Oscar or anything, but everyone was good in their part. Yeah. Um, sometimes you know the the script or the or the plot like doesn't you know is a little wonky, uh, but you know we'll we'll get into that for sure. Yeah. But. Uh, so we see Kurt so, at the bar. He's um, getting his drink on. You know, yep. e- eating uh, bar food and getting his drink on. And um, then he goes home. And, of course, <laughs> he runs He runs over Echo, who's, who's sledding in the middle of the night during a snowstorm. Yeah, yeah, you don't even see it either, do you? You just kind of hear like a thump, <laughs> which, yeah. again, like, you know, like that uh, uh, a clever way to save a ton of money. But I got to once again talk about John Adams acting. Like there's really, he's driving in his car. He's drunk. He's like his facial expressions and his just like his body language just portrays like so much. Like he just, to me, he seemed just like this haunted sort of guy. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And um, so what? He panics, brings her home, realizes she's not dead, and then finishes her off. And. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It shows him like eating the next day. And I'm like, you think about this character. You don't know much about him. Like you like, you know, he's disturbed by what he did, but he's still functioning. Like he's still like kind of okay. So you get the sense that Kurt has seen some shit in life or done some shit, you know, maybe he's an ex-con or something. Yeah. That's a vibe I got too. And then, and this is like one of my favorite things they do in these movies where there's like that decision point, the point where you, where you can go left or right. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and you can read all that in his face when you see that Echo is like not dead. You know, I mean, yes, yes. I mean, he was gonna like cut her up or something like that. He brings her into this like tub in this abandoned house that he's renovating, and then she like coughs, and it's like, oh my god, she's still alive. And then you could see the conflict in it when his eyes and his face, and it's just like, okay, guy, it's like bring her to the hospital. All you gotta do is bring her to the hospital. It's better than than murdering someone or, you know what I mean? And like, right. Yes, you're drunk. You're probably going to have some sort of, uh, you know, retribution as a result of that. But he decides to kill her. Mm. And and that's like, I I guess it's like, 
speaks to his character, you know, in the same way where you're saying, like, you, you get the sense that he's done some shit, like maybe he's an ex-con. So, I mean, that's someone who's comfortable with, with death and murder and killing. That's, like, the option. I know, like, normal, a normal person who's never murdered someone probably would opt to take her to the hospital and just face the consequences of being a drunk driver. That's what I, I that, when watching the movie, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I would just take her to the hospital. You're probably going to get fucking caught anyway. It's better to just, you know, do the right thing. Yeah. Um, he also has, he's also, the cops come to ask, to his door to ask about, have you seen this girl? And, you know, usually it seems like, like this in a movie, like, you know, he's a little uncomfortable, a little shifty. He seems like the interview goes, okay. Like, he's just like, nope, not, no, I didn't see anything. Nope. You know, he doesn't seem like, I, that's not the first time he's been talked to by the cops, it felt like, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because, like, it's subtle, but there is a little bit of unease, you know? And, yeah. like, but you know that he's had to talk his way out of situations before. And, um, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Like, he, like, they're like, he's uneasy about everything, but he can handle it. He kind of keeps his cool in every aspect of it, uh, until later in the film, obviously. Um, but yeah, like you, you, nothing about Kurt is, is 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 spelled out. But like you, like you said, like you can just kind of your your mind goes places, like of what this guy's life was like before before this. I also got to say, like he must be new to the home renovating home renovating because like the move that he doesn't fix anything in the house. He's just always tearing shit up. <laughs> <laughs> like what was up with that? Yeah, I don't know anything about renovating houses. I know nothing, but like every scene was just like him like tearing something up. But like, I, I don't know that that struck me as as funny. I mean, you Especially guys, like you guys he lives there. There's like no windows. I, I was gonna say that too. Is that <laughs> how the fuck do you? It's the middle of the winter, and there's like no heat, no uh, you know, no no working appliances, and no windows. <laughs> yeah, great place. <laughs> And they mentioned that that house has been there forever, and it was like a party house, and yeah, and and uh, it was for you know filled beer bottles and shit like that. And uh, so he's and, been working on it for a little while. And Ivy mentions that she used to go in there and get fucked up a lot too. Yeah, when she was growing up. Yeah, in one of the first of many weird interactions between Ivy and Kurt. So I mean, the for this part of the movie, I'm completely on board. Like the first. I think 40 minutes I was really into it. There was a couple things here and there that was like, yeah, whatever, you know. Um, uh, it starts to become a little bit like, well, you know, it, it's a little bit of a telltale heart situation, whereas uh, guilt is starting to rise and Kurt is starting to hear old-timey music through the house, or, or, or does he? You know, it, maybe it's all in his mind, and he starts to think he sees uh, Echo, uh, and starts to hear her voice, you know, so it's just like a telltale heart thing. But then it kind of like gets into this tarot card mumbo jumbo stuff. And I got to say, the movie kind of lost me with a lot of this stuff. I figure that's the part where you would check out. And, that, and, that's, <laughs> and that's the part where I fucking acceler in. accelerated. I like leaned into that part of the movie. Well, I mean, OK, how do you feel about I mean, not not that like. No, I don't, I don't believe in ghosts, but I love ghost stories. You know what I mean? I don't believe in any of this shit. Uh, what do you feel about tarot cards? Do you think that's just complete bullshit, or do you think there's any sort of, like, uh, truth behind it? Well, what do you mean by truth? Do you think it's 
real? Do you think you can really tell, uh, you know, someone's past, present, future through through a deck of cards? Well, like when you say real and tell the future, uh, I I don't know. I don't think that you're telling the future because I don't think you know. I, I'm one of these uh, free will people. Like I don't necessarily think that that the future is the kind of thing that's a uh, absolute. You know. But, right. Uh, but as far as like, look, it's not something like they're going to tell you, like they're, you're telling someone's fortune when you get a tarot reading, you know, you, the symbolism on the cards are supposed to give you like more of um, a different angle to look at what's going on in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, yeah. that's, I mean, anyone who's not familiar with the occult is probably just, oh yeah, you know, I went to, they said that I'm going to get a lot of money. You know, right? And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like that's really not what goes on in a tarot reading. You know, I mean, you yeah, you pick these cards, and you you each card has like um, you know some kind of uh, interpretive significance, and you know, there's multiple meanings. It's not like the death card means you're going to die. No, yeah, right, kind of right, stuff. yeah, or the the hanged man or whatever. You know, none of that stuff really has any absolute meanings, but. It's a it's a totally uh, su- a subjective way of maybe getting a different angle on things, and you. It's like if you read. Like you can read a book, you know, like a self help book or something like that, and it's like okay, you know, I'm gonna have a positive mental attitude now, and that book influenced the way that you approach the next couple of years of your life or the next few months or whatever. And that's right. kind of like what tarot is and in, in the way I, I reckon it. You know, it's not, um, you know, the kind of thing where it's like, it's just like another angle to interpret the happenings in your life, you know? I mean, I, I right. know that. Okay. And that, that's because, like, you know, I, I've been, exp- yeah, I've been around, you know, I, people that do that. I, I know yeah, me too. enough about, my, about it, like, firsthand to understand like what all this stuff, how it interacts with people and the cards interact with themselves and, you know, and it, and it's, um, you know, I, I don't, I would never use that to make any decisions in my life, but you know, I fuck around with it. It's like interesting and maybe gives you a different perspective on stuff. And, you know, and I know that it's funny because, uh, echo is like when I used to work at enchantments in the city in New York, I remember the people that would come in and are looking for readings or they would want some sort of like candle magic done and they're like, it's always money or, or, or love. That's yeah. all anyone cares about. It's like, I want money. I want to find a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and the people that go into these readings, a lot of times they come out disappointed because they did. Well, you didn't tell me anything. Right. You know? And it's like, you know, well, that's not what this is. So, mm. but then again, there's, there's the, the charlatan side, which, you know, you, we were led to believe that Echo is, or I'm sorry, Ivy is um, at one point actually had real power and was like a serious witch and all that and was able to actually connect with, you know, some hierarchical like world, some well, esoteric uh, world. But now she's like lost her whatever. Right. And she's more on the charlatan side, taking advantage of people, kind of reading what they want to hear and then giving that to them and then taking money. Yeah, you know, I didn't, again, like, I don't like I have a problem with the subject of tarot cards or any of that stuff. I just thought here is where the movie kind of got murky. Like, uh, 
Ivy knows something's not right. She knows her kid didn't run away. She goes to see someone. Who was he? He was like a former student or something. Like, I, that wasn't clear to me who that guy was. Yeah, well, the way that works, it's like a lot of these, a lot of people who are involved in the occult have um, like a formal practice, you know, and there might be like different versions of various various belief systems that are out there. And um, so I think this guy at one point, it's sort of, you know, inferred that she was like a higher, like a, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, like a, a high priestess or something in this like sect that they're involved mm. with. And this guy was a student, learned from her. She kind of fell from grace and he ascended to being like, you know, like the head dude or whatever, or like some more powerful like agent within that that belief system, you know, that cabal right. or whatever you want to call it, you know, coven. So you know? This this character is supposed to be like the exposition character, yeah. but nothing that came out of this mouth. Like a lot of this stuff didn't really, you know, add up to every anything. The conversation starts off very friendly and like reminiscing, and then he's he was like you open this box and you become, you know, and he starts cackling evil, like, like an evil villain in like a Batman comic book or something. It was, it just came off as silly. And I didn't really quite understand the seven circles thing or what they were saying. She like, and how like, well, did you think about looking up the seven circles? I did not. I, I did not. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not my problem. You know, you fucking too lazy to research shit, man. You know, but whatever. Well, man. see, I didn't think it was real. I thought it was just made up. Well, it turns out that in this case, uh, it wasn't really, uh, you know, strictly adhering to like an esoteric practice, you know, but it did have to do with like sacred geometry and, and, uh, uh, the different phases of life, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah, but I, yeah, it just it just sort of veered off into a direction. I was like, okay, so the mother's having like all these insane hallucinations uh, about her daughter, but like, did it connect her spiritually with her like dead daughter, or was that like I I didn't quite understand where that were how that all connected because simultaneously while this is happening, you realize. Kurt isn't, uh, you know, mad. she's really there. She's really haunting him and trying to possess him. So was Echo also into the occult? I think so. And I, well, I think that when she was, when she was killed by him, because I mean, all right, look, in, in ghost stories, right? The person who, whose spirit comes back to haunt someone isn't necessarily like a, a shaman or a witch or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. with the, um, you know, within the ghost story lore, um, it's someone who dies violently, like their soul gets stuck in purgatory and they don't want to leave the material world. So they kind of, right. they stay like within the confines of the material world, even though there's no place for them there anymore. And um, so she's, well, I guess, I mean, you know, this is like all folklore, but it's like the, the spirit tries to attach itself and she, you know, let's just face it, Kurt fucking literally murdered her. Right. You know, so who, you know, she has no goodwill towards this guy. So let's, uh, let me try to possess him so I can stay with my mother. And it talks about, like you mentioned earlier about how um, they have such a great relationship and how, 
you know, it's a mother daughter, like tight, close relationship, a lot of love and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And, and echo has, I, I got the sense that she was kind of like a lonely character anyway. And that yeah, probably was as reluctant to like step into the, the, the abyss, you know, that kind of stuff and like face the unknown. And she's young. She's only probably like 15 years old. So you have no life. 14, she's 14. Or 14. Okay. So you know, I would estimate that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So um, to me, like using that train of thought, it made sense that, that, they, that she would try to haunt Kurt. And ultimately, I think the mother, I think Ivy was kind of like maybe even subconsciously trying to manifest the possession of Kurt. Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, I don't see how this uh, spiritual stuff or how the, uh, the the mother's, like, I don't see how it was necessary to the plot. To me, if you didn't keep keep most of that, like, it would still be, you know, it, it would be a different movie, and I think it would be a, a better movie. Because, uh, you know, uh, they, the, the um, some of the hallucination scenes sort of look like, I don't know, a very... Uh, New metal inspired videos, stuff, stuff like well, that. Yeah, you know, you know, I love new metal. So yeah. Yeah, I know. I know you're a big fan. Yeah, and at one point she's like doing a psychic reading to herself, and she's dressed like someone from Slipknot. <laughs> she's got on all that like clown makeup. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's one thing where like the the bud like like where money was spent. You know, there's there's a couple of really bad CGI scenes. That I mean, you know, I for you know, I'm not against CGI at all, but like. You know, they do, like, uh, they show, like, the ghost of Echo, and her face is rotting. And at first, they kind of show her at a distance. And, you know, you can't really, you know, you, you don't get a good look at it. But then they do a close-up, and you can tell, like, like you know, it's like the stuff is, like, moving around. Like, it's not moving with her face kind of stuff. Right. Like, really, like, really bad CGI. I just think there was, like, there could have been a more, like, you know, like, like I said, film it further away. And, and you don't notice it as much. Because there's one really cool, my fate, like that shot where the mother is talking to her daughter in the woods and the daughter is floating in the air and it looks awesome. And, uh, you know, just, but the camera's just far enough away so you don't really notice, that, like, like, the effect. Yeah, I mean, that's the limitations, man. They only spent, like, 11K on this thing, you know? Right. I mean, no, I know. they spent, like, like you know, 11K on, like, one... 62nd scene you know of, of special effects you know right but i and just i would have you know like i wish it would have just shot around that or not used like you know like the, the cgi uh fucking uh chainsaw scene i thought was just it was just not necessary it didn't even need to be in the movie i thought yeah i think that might have been like because like in the in the interviews i read this is their first uh like horror film Oh, okay. So they're like, okay, we have to make it a horror film. We need to put like some horror set pieces in there. So hence the chainsaw scene, you know? Yeah. But to me, the, the psychological breakdown of like Kurt, is he being possessed? This is all in his head. And then the grieving mother, for me, that was enough. And because the atmosphere of the movie was completely carrying it. Uh, I, I thought a lot of like, you know, the tarot card mumbo jumbo stuff just got a little like uh, too much for me. I enjoyed all that stuff, and um, I like the possession aspect of it because then it, yeah, it kind of dips into like the weird fiction world a little bit in this movie, 
you know, without having like a tentacled monster or anything like that. And I kind of dig that. Yeah, no, I dug all that stuff. And I like, like slowly he, you know, he starts willingly listening to old time music. And then he, um, you know, he goes to the gas station and, uh, he gets a cinnamon coffee cake uh, oh, cappuccino, yeah. which yep. is so. Which I'm honest, dude, that sounds disgusting. But, yeah, um, but that's the kind of thing like a 14 year old girl would drink, though. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I'd probably you know want to drink that when I was yeah. 14. Yeah, dude, it's like that's exactly the type of thing like a, a young girl like like Ivy or Echo, sorry, Echo. She'd be like, "Oh yeah, this is great. It's like real sugary. It's got. I'm drinking coffee, but it's like." Not really coffee because it's got mad like flavor and sugar to it, you know? Yeah, when I drank coffee at like 15, 16, you know, it had like 10 fucking creams and like 20 sugars in it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Totally. It's like a, it's exactly. like a little girl's coffee drink. And that's why it's funny so that he, this dude is like drinking it, ordering it. Yeah, and the, uh, the, 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 the teller there gets, gives him like a sideboard glance. And, uh, you know, why are you buying this? You know, no, no beer today? No beer tonight? Yeah. You yeah, know. yeah. Uh, you fucking drunk. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so he slowly, you know, like the, the mother and Kurt sort of have been doing this like cat and mouse thing almost throughout the whole movie. And, um, you know, like when they first meet, she goes over and she's sort of like suspicious of him. She even actually calls out Echo's name at one point. Um, he finds a dead, I think it was a dead coyote. That's one thing I wanted to ask you about because that didn't really go anywhere. That, like, who killed the, the, that thing? How did it get there? I don't know. I don't, I don't was know. it the mother? Like, I, I didn't. I, I killed it, it. I killed the coyote. <laughs> I put it there. <laughs> um, yeah, just like little things like that that kind of didn't go anywhere. But anyway, like you know, now like he's sort of, I guess, building a relationship with his mother. Is it out of guilt or is it? Um, well. Is is he really becoming possessed? I mean, it's it's kind of clear that he's becoming possessed. I would have liked like liked it to be more ambiguous, but you know, whatever. It's it's a slow possession. He's not taken over right away. He's just thinking, wants to talk to the mother, wants to be in the home that's familiar to her. Uh, you know, things like that. I think that's the part that I really dug was that you got this guy, this haunted dude, older guy alone in the world you have like the mother alone in the world right literally because she just lost her daughter you got her daughter who should have had like this wonderful life you know like like you imagine that character like that like being like just life turning out okay for her but she her life was like snuffed out by this guy right and that's like right his his, his the sin that he he, he did you know and yeah. um Throughout all of this, like, violence, somehow everyone's drawn together, you know? And, and right. like, there's something, like, a little bit kind of uplifting about that, even though it is, like, fucked up, that, that the daughter's spirit is, like, possessing Kurt, which I do believe that in, in the world of this film that he was being possessed by, by, uh, by Echo. And I think it's funny that, like, her name is Echo. And mm. like, you know, like she's like an echo of her life, you know, resounding in this like blackness of like 
the afterlife or whatever, you know? Yeah, and they use it before. She lived, oh, there's never been an echo in these woods before. You hear the word echo pop up a, a few times in this yeah. movie. So it's like, uh, it's it's definitely like a thing, you know, in the in the, in the yeah. movie. And, and that I think that the mother, you know, probably wants companionship. Like this guy, Kurt, probably is lonely and he wants companionship. And Echo is out in the void somewhere and possessing him slowly. And eventually they're, they're going to become the same person and everyone's happy. <laughs> but yeah. like in a totally fucked up way though, right? Yeah, like I didn't know where this was going. Like, because I was like, she's suspicious of this guy. She has to be. But then there's that scene where they go hunting. She seems almost warm to him, right? You know, well, that's, obviously. That's what made me think that she's like, you know, I've been spending all these cold winters out here in the, in the woods by myself for many years. You know, there's no man in my life, you know, and the same thing with him. He's like, you know, I'm out here, I'm alone. You know, I'm trying to like make money by, you know, renovating this house and selling it. Uh, you know, it's probably divorced or whatever. You know, is like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so yeah, much there sure. in in the in the characters. And part of me is like, she's like, well, you know, if I can get rid of the sketchy part of his personality, maybe replace it with like the good things of of Echo. Like, I could construct him into this like Frankenstein's monster of a good person. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And. By the end of the hunting trip, she's fully convinced like he had something to do with her death, and she goes to the house. And this is one of the cooler, like creepy visual elements of the movie. Kurt is written on different walls in the house. Like you never see him do it, but you know you just like you see that, and you think he's really like struggling to not be taken over. It's kind of creepy. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a good spot too of the film, and. And the thing is, too, is she still doesn't really know if he had anything to do with Echo's murder. And but uh, and then though she sees the sled, right? Yeah. That kind of bugged me too. It's like, how dumb are you to not get rid of that? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier. It's like I, I mean, I've never killed anyone, but I don't. I imagine you're probably not thinking straight. You know, in the aftermath of murdering somebody, I don't know. I mean. You read yeah, all these like true. you know. You read a lot of these procedurals about what people do after they kill someone, and maybe part of him might have wanted to get caught too. Maybe there was some guilt associated right. with that too. You know, there's so many different angles you could look at that with. You know. Yeah, I'm just thinking. You know, you're renovating a house, probably a lot of trips to the dump. You know, you saw that thing up and throw a little piece of it away here and there. You know. Or maybe that's what I would. Maybe that's what I would do. It kept coming back. Mm, that see that would have been interesting that would have been well cool. they kind of hinted that, that because he tried remember he, he there's a part where you see him dismembering her body and he's trying to get rid of her body but her body she, she keeps coming back that's true because like her ghost is tormenting him like that's as deep as you're gonna dig yeah and he's like yeah you're right like uh you know so he keeps digging deeper like then yeah then he cuts her up and, and digs a throws her in a well and you know, I was wondering, is like, did he really cut her up? Is this all in his head? That, um, yeah. Actually, yeah. you know what? A lot of that, it reminded me of almost like an EC Comics story, like that part of it. Totally, yeah. You know, like, you know, like it's it's almost like um, like exactly like a story I probably read in EC Comics where there's like some guy driving at night, he killed someone, 
he tries to get rid of the body and they, they haunt him. And then he ends up committing, you know, like falling into a well or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like I said, it's very Edgar Allan Poe or like, you know, or I could see that just as like its own little segment on like uh kills from the crypt or, you know, now it would be, you know, creep show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I liked those elements of the movie a lot. Um, the ending was a little, I don't know. What, what, what'd you think of the end? Cause like it, little bit of a letdown like the way that everything you know is basically like a, a fight and then i don't know i i thought it had a more like just i don't know a stronger ending would have really helped this movie i was all in man i thought the whole thing was good i really you know i there's things that maybe could have benefited from having more money or maybe some uh you know maybe an um outside editorial might have helped the script a little bit but for like a, a an art project for what it was really i think it was fucking great yeah um i really wanted to love this movie because i'm so on board in the beginning and you know you know you knew it was made for no money and they were like you know it was just a family making a movie together and i love the atmosphere but it, it got it just had a couple scenes that were just too silly for me to, to get into and kind of took me out of the movie. This isn't a long movie, but it felt long to me. Um, yeah, it's and only, that's fine. Uh, it's at an hour 35. That's what the yeah. clock's in at. Yeah. Um, like I said, the scene where she goes to, to visit her old uh, protege, the, uh, the scene where she does her own tarot cards. Like it was too, it was just too goofy. Like the, the tone of it shifted away from uh what i enjoyed about the movie and there's a couple things that go nowhere like the, the dead dog or whatever the foot coyote and at one point um you know the mother is talking to her dead daughter and she said would you love me if i killed someone and i and that didn't go i was like oh that's a, where are they going with this and it turns out to be no one because i mean she's talking about kurt you know the mother doesn't love kurt you know um just little things like that really uh, bugged me. But for what it is and, and as much money as they made, I mean, it is impressive on that level that it's not like this just unwatchable pile of junk. It's actually really well made, really well shot. And like I said, decently acted. Um, so final grade, what would you give it? I loved it. I gave, I gave it a four out of five. And um, I've recommended it to a couple of people. And I'm probably going to watch it again. Um, okay. I'm going to go two and a half for me. Wow. Okay. Close, but, uh, I didn't hate it. At one point I, 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 I was really, really into it. It just kind of took a downward turn for me, but it is cool. Uh, that, that, and it shows you, you can really do your own thing. You don't have to go through the studio system to make like a, a decent looking, looking movie. And, uh, it just takes time and patience, I guess. And you said like they shot this movie over some time, right? They had to shoot just whenever they could. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, basically that's it, you know. And I, I thought it was great, man. I I thought that uh, what really dragged me in was the the, the cinematography was. Um, yeah, that's like I said, man. That scene with the snow and the light, and I was like, man, this this guy's on some shit. It's like. I just looked great. It had, I mean, I guess like, I mean, you you grew up in a you know similar sort of place that I did, and 
it just reminded me like I didn't where I lived as a kid wasn't that wasn't as rural as that. Yeah, yeah, me neither. But we were like adjacent to areas like that. Like there was towns surrounding us that were like that, where your neighbor is like two miles down the road. Right. Yeah. Also, it turns out that Kurt and and Ivy were neighbors, but they were like two miles away from each other or something like that. Yeah. Rural Connecticut can be either like really pretty or really trashy, (laughs) you know. um, Right. But yeah, yeah, like like there, there's a lot of great shots. Even there's just like a shot you probably wouldn't even think much about of like Kurt leaving the bar, and it kind of shows him from like you know like the the, the waist down. He's kind of stumbling, and there's an ambulance in the background creating like this light, this ambience. And I was just wondering, I'm like, that must have been like a happy accident. <laughs> like there was an ambulance there at the, at, at the time. There's no way there was in the budget for them to to, to have an an ambulance to light a shot. You know what I mean? Um. And uh, there's a lot to admire about this movie, but yeah. Yeah. And I liked all the characters. Like I, there was nothing, like even Kurt, like even though he was a complicated character, yeah, even though he's like the villain, quote unquote, in this movie, um, he's like, there's layers to him. Same thing with Ivy, you know, and, and Echo is like a very likable character. You don't really get to know her very much, but it's implied that there's layers to her too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's hard to do, man, like without, you know, actually having like an exposition where some guy is like, oh, yeah, did you know that she won an award and blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, there's really not a lot of that in the no. movie, which I appreciate. There's, there's <laughs> uh, none of that. And and that's that's a very, very high level storytelling device, I think. And that's what I, what I this I guess the craft of this movie was what really got me. And um, and also, uh, John Adams has got a cool haircut, which is always good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, doesn't he, like, he seems too old to have this kind of haircut. Like, like it's, he looks like he's in, looks like he's in death heaven or something. Um, he's either like in death heaven or he's in like the Proud Boys or something. <laughs> I want one of those. Yeah, toys. there's like a a shot of him opening a closet, and there's like a MAGA hat and a Fred Perry hanging in there or something <laughs> like. It's just like a real quick shot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Or he's like listening to like Gavin McGinnis's radio show in the background while he's oh, renovating God. the house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, I'm glad I watched it. I thought it was a, a great looking movie. There's so many, you know, great shots. There's that shot of like the, the mother just walking down the road by herself and there's no dialogue. And um, I like in scenes you can hear the wind. Yeah. I like they even mentioned, like I said, like you know, there's like a lot of snow in one scene, and then like a couple scenes later, they'll it'll be like melted. I like how like they they because I assume it took them a long time to make this, but no budget. Like I said, you film and you film, but they cover their tracks by having someone on the radio say like, "Oh, you know, watch it. It's going to be all slush by tomorrow." Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Uh, yep. Smart way again, like smart filmmaking. You know, just uh, um, yeah. I think that this is um going to be their preferred genre i think that uh from if any any of you guys out there have the arrow app check it out on there and watch and watch the extras and they talk about that they talk about how the horror community is like really embraced them and they've did did a bunch of festivals and all this other stuff and um they are i guess in the scripting process of making another genre film and they have some other films that came out earlier that's the same same crew it's like uh 
Zelda's like young. She's like ten in the movie. Mm. I didn't watch it yet, but it's um it's called uh, Knuckle Jack. Oh, I've never uh, even heard of that. It's like one of these things, you know, it's like out there, you know, somewhere it exists and it's um <laughs> you know, these days like, you know, you put out it's like Bandcamp. You know, bands all these bands exist that they just they do it. They put it on Bandcamp and it exists, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that's how this film is. It's just out there existing and I'm going to try to find it. Look, it sounds I saw a trailer for it. Looked pretty cool, you know. Cool. Yeah. I gotta, you know, I, I, is there anything about like I was because uh, the movie had two directors, the the uh, the husband and the wife, uh, Kurt and Ivy. They they directed this movie, yeah, together. And then and it, the daughter has a co-directing credit. I'm I, I'm always curious how two directors work, let alone now three. Um, I, I'm kind of curious about that. I'm gonna have to like do some more research about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's some family shit, maybe. You know, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. there are a lot of times there's bands out there where it's like one guy writes all the material, but everyone's like credited as writers. Yeah, I see what you mean. Or like maybe like, um, you know, she's like, oh, I think I should be standing over there instead of over here. Like, sure. yeah, you know, maybe, like, maybe that's all it takes, you know? Yeah, like um, there's a movie I was watching, uh, Monument Ave, a while ago. I think I told you about this great, great movie that no one really knows exists. Uh, Dennis Leary gets a writing credit. Wow. Because um, there's a scene, you know, this is a Boston movie, Boston in the 90s. Dennis Leary and his buddies, they're all like car thieves and they're kind of low rent pieces of shit. Um, and they're all doing coke. <laughs> and this scene goes on for like 10, 10 minutes, like just him, him rambling with his buddies. And it was the most accurate portrayal of fucking knuckleheads in Boston doing blow all night that, that I've ever seen in my life. But like... You know, you you can't you can script that, and it's and it's going to sound stilted. So Dennis Leary was just basically riffing, making shit up, and he gets a, a writing credit on that for that. So it yeah. could be one of those situations. Yeah, maybe. By the way, watch Monument Ave. That's a great Boston crime movie, and no one knows it exists. Well, you know it exists. Oh, I know it exists. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it exists. Yeah. yeah. No one else. It's, it's no one ever talks about it. Right. It's uh, kind of forgotten. Also, John Adams uh, composed the score for this movie, too. Yeah, I wasn't crazy about the score. Uh, I liked, you know, the more, like, subtle parts of it. There was some, you know, kind of, like, Nine Inch Nails-y kind of stuff that, like, uh, I could have done without. But, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm done saying negative things about the movie. Hey, man, that's how you feel, you know. It's how I feel. I will watch what they do next. There's enough interesting stuff in here and 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 uh technique or whatever uh to, to make me interested in what they do next i i thought it was strong for just what it was man and that's why i gave it such a high rating and i think that their next thing is going to be cool even cooler than this i hope so yeah it'd be great yeah. i'm always rooting for stuff to be good i never want anything to be bad yeah me too you know, yeah. and they seem like nice people, you know, like in the, in the, in the documentary, they just seem like very agreeable people and I wish them luck and I hope to see good things happening in the future for this, uh, for the Adams family. Yeah. You can't do this kind of movie in like the Hollywood so or you could, but it'd probably be like a lot harder. You know, you pitch it to a studio like, okay, great. Can this take place in say, uh, Atlanta or, or LA or, you know, yeah, there'll be like a gay character, and you know. 
<laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, yeah, it's cool. They're like they're independent. They're doing their own thing. It can it can be done. And you would find out that Kurt is like a rapist, and he's escaping like you know some lurid past that he has. Right, and he deserves what happens to him, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the ambiguity of the char- of the character, and like you coming up with your own like idea of of the backstory, which I'm sure he did uh, as an actor. Oh know? yeah, dude, that that's like one of the coolest things when you when you listen to interviews with um like real deal actors, like how they even though it's it might not be written in the script how they compose a whole backstory for someone so they can get into that character's essence you know yeah the good ones the good ones do that that's you so know? interesting to me man it is to me too um uh yeah all right so that was um the deeper you dig when uh in out, out in LA you ever you ever get approached to like act in anything like that <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that anyone hey, ever, man, like when, when ISIS was like rocking and rolling, did anyone be like, "Oh yeah, we we want you to you know be in this film"? No, no, no. Um, I uh, I was asked to be in the party scene in Bliss. That's about it. Oh well, that that's a different thing completely because you're friends with uh, with Begos. Yeah, um, that's it. That's the the only time. Uh, well, uh, my friend uh, Paul uh, was going to direct, so he d- did direct a movie, uh, but he was like, yeah, because he was, he was a big ISIS fan. And he's like, oh, I'd like to have you guys in there like as extras, like in the background playing mechanics or something like that. <laughs> 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 uh, obviously, that didn't happen. But um, yeah, that, that's, that's it, man. I've never, never got approached for anything like that. I've never done any acting work. I've been on a few sets here and there. It's always interesting to watch. Yeah. stuff being filmed it's, it's very interesting to me yeah, um, I'm, only, I'm only i've done like sound on sets so i and i've done like a lot of like sound work for like documentary type stuff and when like wow, this is like i haven't done that stuff in like five years but uh it's interesting to see the process for sure it is how so much goes into like a single shot and how long it takes because like i i must have mentioned this they filmed a lot of scenes in dexter in my apartment complex in the building in my neighbor's apartment, like they filmed a lot on my street, like they were all Dexter was always filming in for on and off for, for years, and I was just always kind of fascinated. I always kind of watch what was going on. And it's funny, Keith Gordon from Christine and Jaws Two was directing, and um, yeah, it's fun. I do that stuff. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll be back at. Take care, everyone. Bye.